Turkey's incessant shelling of civilian areas in northern Syria, especially the potential for expansion of its occupation, presents a direct threat to religious and ethnic minorities in Syria. Hello and welcome to the USERF Spotlight podcast, a weekly podcast series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we take a deep dive into religious freedom conditions around the world, breaking the situation down for you. Each week, we focus on a different country, region, or topic. Not only do we analyze and explain the religious freedom situation to our listeners, but we also make policy recommendations to the United States government in order to address the immense challenges we bring to light here. Now here is the host of our show, USERF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, to lead today's discussion. Welcome to USERF Spotlight. Today, we're going to focus on recent developments in Turkey. Just last week, we released a new report covering religious freedom conditions in Turkey, which concludes that religious freedom uh, in the country continues to follow a disappointing trajectory in a negative uh, way. The report highlights key trends in 2021, many of which have roots in uh, years prior, such as the Hagia Sophia conversion, the continued closure of the Halki Seminary, government meddling in internal affairs of religious minority communities, concerns about the educational curriculum, hate speech by government officials, uh, Turkey's intervention in northern Syria and Iraq, and and much more. Uh, The report also provides historical context behind decisions made at the founding of the Turkish Republic, such as the original decision to convert the Hagia Sophia from a a mosque to a museum in 1934 and the 1923 Treaty of Lausanne, which continues to impact religious minority communities to this day. So to discuss these findings, uh, we have with us today USERF policy analyst John Lechner, the author of the report. He covers Turkey, Azerbaijan and Uzbekistan for the commission. Welcome back, John. Hi, Dwight. Thanks for having me. Could you go ahead and start uh, by sharing with our audience the key findings uh, from your report and explain why religious freedom conditions in Turkey continue to follow this negative trajectory? Sure. Uh, So the report illustrates that many of the issues uh, USERF has monitored in Turkey over the years continue to worsen today. The uh, Turkish government action, deliberate inaction, and rhetoric continue to fuel a political environment hostile to religious minorities. For example, religious minority communities in 2021 still can't acquire legal personality or permission to hold board member elections from the Turkish government. The Turkish government still refuses to recognize the levy houses of worship and the theological school of Halki, as you mentioned, uh, a seminary of the ecumenical patriarchate of the Eastern Orthodox Church, after 50 years is still closed. Government tolerance of hate speech and acts of violence continue to persist. And moreover, the COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated some of these issues, hatching uh, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories and new forms of intimidation towards Turkey's Armenian community. Yeah, so just when you thought, uh, you know, things couldn't couldn't get worse, it's obviously worrying to hear some of these new uh, developments um, yeah. You know, the first section of your report gives a brief history of the Hagia Sophia conversion from mosque to museum and in 2020 back to a mosque, which obviously uh, created a bit of an uproar and, and which you sort of spoke out on strongly. Could you share with the, our listeners some of the key takeaways from that decision and why it was so important for religious minority communities in Turkey? 
Sure. Um, for that, we're, we're definitely going to have to go back a bit. But uh, starting off uh, on July 10th, 2020, President Erdogan signed a decree handing control of the Hagia Sophia to Turkey's uh, Directorate of Religious Affairs. And that reversed the original decision in 1934 to convert the Hagia Sophia into a museum. So that decision all the way back in 1934 was a product of uh, secular ideology, domestic politics, and, and geopolitical considerations. But for Turkey's religious minorities, the museum also became a symbol of what I would say is religious pluralism and tolerance in the country. So Turkey's highest administrative court ruled last year that that 1934 decision had no legal basis. We would say that at a minimum, the annulment violated the spirit of that 1934 decision in the eyes of religious minority community members, uh, particularly because the decision came at a time of deteriorating conditions for religious freedom in the country and an increase in government rhetoric that is threatening to religious minorities. So Erdogan justified uh, this decision as a continuation of Sultan Mehmed's uh, quote, spirit of conquest. Uh, members of his uh, ruling coalition party framed the decision as, quote, the will of the nation and those opposed to it as Byzantines among us. It should be noted as well that the Greek Orthodox community this year uh, marked the 50th anniversary of Halki Seminary's closure, which means that the ecumenical patriarchate hasn't been able to train its clergy for two generations. So these decisions uh, and others made by the Turkish government obviously create a, a cumulative exclusionary environment for Greek Orthodox in Turkey and other religious minorities. But really, the, the rulings of 1934 and 2020 concern less the uh, physical structure of the Hagia Sophia and much more what it has come to represent, which is what is and, and what should be the Turkish state's relationship with Sunni Islam. So implicit in this court's recent decision is the rejection of Kemalist notions of a secular state, which many religious minorities viewed as an imperfect but still very important guarantor of religious freedom. We wanted to take a quick break to highlight a couple of previous episodes of the Yusuf Spotlight podcast that relate to today's discussion on Turkey. In May 2021, we released an episode on the continued closure of the Halki Seminary featuring Archbishop El Pidoforos. Also, in July 2021, we released an episode on the Sivash massacre and the persecution of the Alevi community in Turkey. Both of these episodes, as well as the Turkey Country update that was just released in December 2021, are linked in the show notes. Now back to Dwight to continue with today's discussion. You know, you described the issues of legal personality and internal meddling in the report. As you mentioned, following the 1923 Treaty of Lausanne, the, the Turkish government came to interpret the equal rights of non-Muslim minorities is only applicable to Armenian, Apostolic, Greek Orthodox, and Jewish communities, those three, but not inclusive of legal status. How does that in reality affect these communities and others uh, today? Sure. So since 2013, the Turkish government has blocked religious minority foundations from electing board members. And that's uh, slowly reduced their numbers through death and illness and increased the difficulties of day-to-day -day functioning which has also divided communities like the Armenian Apostolic Church in Istanbul. And as you mentioned, that selective interpretation of the Treaty of Lausanne's provisions on minority rights does not include Muslim minorities, and that creates even further issues for these communities. 
The Alevi community, for example, represents between 10 to 20 percent of Turkey's population, but does not enjoy any legal recognition for its houses of worship. The Turkish state provides, for example, certain subsidies for recognized uh, religious institutions. Uh, electricity bills would be one. Yet uh, Ankara continues to ignore a 2016 European Court of Human Rights ruling that the government acts in a discriminatory manner when refusing similar electricity subsidies for Alevi houses of, of worship. The Turkish government's uh, initial rejection of the Alevi community's case stated that Alevism is a religious movement within Islam, not a separate faith, and thus not qualified for state subsidies. So some real uh, examples there. You know, we've we've also been covering hate speech and, and active acts of vandalism for a number of years that specifically have targeted uh, some of these religious minority communities in Turkey for, for some time now. Can you uh, give us a sampling of some of those incidents uh, that you tracked here in 2021 so far? Of course. So uh, language used to incite violence, uh, questioning a community's right to live in the country, death threats and threatening rhetoric from government officials still uh, very unfortunately remain common. In January, for example, unknown individuals in Yalova province marked the levee houses with red paint. And earlier this year, the uh, Surtoros Armenian Church in uh, Kutahia was demolished despite holding protected status. In August, bulldozers destroyed an Armenian cemetery in Van province as well. Regarding hate speech, uh, unfortunately, we continue to see uh, issues this year. For example, uh, in April, in response to Turkish-Armenian Member of Parliament uh, Garo Pailan's statements on Armenian Genocide Re Remembrance Day, a nationalist MP threatened that Pailan would have a, quote, Talat Pasha experience. Uh, Talat Pasha, of course, was the principal architect of the Armenian Genocide, so it's understandable uh, how this could be both incredibly offensive and threatening. The pandemic has also fostered an increase in anti-Semitism and anti-Semitic rhetoric in Turkey. And in March this year, the gate of the historical synagogue in Istanbul was set on fire. Yeah, so definitely uh, more examples of this fostering uh, climate of impunity and hatred. Um, I also mentioned at the top, which I think is another interesting angle here, the Turkish government's actions outside uh, of the country, abroad, particularly in Syria and Iraq. Could you go a little deeper there on what the implications are for religious freedom in these nearby countries? Absolutely. The report concludes that Turkey's incessant shelling of civilian areas in northern Syria uh, and especially the potential for expansion of its occupation, presents a direct threat to religious and ethnic minorities in Syria. Uh, in September, members of uh, Syria's Christian community expressed concern over escalating Turkish military attacks. And in the Christian majority town of Tel Tamer, uh, civilian infrastructure was indeed targeted. Turkey also continues to back armed groups opposing the Syrian government, which displaced communities with large religious minority populations. In fact, in August, the US government responded by issuing sanctions against militant Islamist groups tied to Turkey. In Iraq, uh, this August, uh, the Turkish military conducted airstrikes on a makeshift hospital in the uh, predominantly Yazidi Sinjar region of northern Iraq, and that resulted in the deaths of civilians and medical staff. But I'd also like to add that, that Turkey hosts many Syrian refugees as well. 
so with 4 million refugees and asylum seekers living in the country, Turkey is, in fact, the largest host of refugees in the world. And for that, Turkish society and the Turkish government should be commended. And but given that, uh, one other issue we are paying close attention to regards the Uyghur community in Turkey, which is estimated to be around 50,000. Many Uyghurs in Turkey fear that an extradition treaty between Beijing and Ankara will result in their deportation. President Erdogan visited China in 2017 and signed the treaty, which the PRC's National People's Congress ratified in December 2020. Now, the Turkish parliament has yet to ratify that treaty despite intense pressure and increased economic investment from Beijing. So needless to say, we are continuing to monitor this situation very closely. Indeed, and a number of things to watch looking forward. Uh, unfortunately, as we've seen some of these signs that, that things are continuing to, to go in a downward spiral. And given that, uh, including some of the aggressive moves by the Turkish government outside of its borders, um, is there anything the United States government and, and international community, you know, writ large, uh, can be doing and should be doing to try to ameliorate the religious freedom situation on the ground? Is there any hope there? And can U.S. policy um, affect uh, things in a positive way? Uh, so I think you know, first and foremost, uh, USERF uh, continues to recommend that the U.S. State Department uh, put Turkey on a special watch list for engaging in or tolerating severe violations of religious freedom. And the U.S. government should also press at the highest levels for the reopening of the Greek Orthodox Halki Seminary, and also that the Turkish government follow these crucial uh, European Court of Human Rights uh, rulings. Uh, the U.S. embassy uh, should track religious communities' efforts to open, regain, renovate, and protect places of worship and other religious sites of spiritual, cultural, or historic importance. In should work with the Turkish government to ensure the protection of such sites uh, and require as well a thorough review regarding the inclusion of objects that constitute the religious and cultural heritage of ethnic minority communities. Well, we'll have to uh, leave it right uh, here. So uh, hopefully we, we, we see some progress uh, in the near future. But uh, I want to thank John Lechner for his expertise and insights today. Uh, Turkey is indeed a country that uh, Yusuf uh, recommended again uh, earlier this year uh, for placement on the State Department's special watch list. So we're obviously calling for that, as John referenced, for the severe violations of religious freedom. Uh, to learn more about Yusuf's work on Turkey and our related uh, policy recommendations to the U.S. government, you can visit our website for more information. As always, thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time on Yusuf Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's U-S-C-I-R-F.gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight. <laughs>